We've been going through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts to me is one of the most exciting books of the Bible. It's so full of action. It just, it just makes, you, makes you get so excited about the work of the Lord. And of course, as you know, I'm a Bible nerd. I love the Lord with all my heart and soul and all my strength. So I'm just going to get, when I get started, it's hard to get me stopping. So if you want to make, have a question or an observation, put your hand up and wave it. Don't scratch yourself because I'll probably call you out if I see you. How can you not get excited about the Bible? And the book of Acts is just full of those wonderful adventures of the early church. Of course, it must have been terrifying for them knowing that they were being persecuted and, and hated by so many just for standing up for God's holy word. Now, we were studying about Paul, about his conversion, when he accepted the message of the gospel in Acts twenty-two sixteen and was baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. That was when he became a Christian, a follower of Christ, and that is when a target was put upon his head. And please don't think that when you become a Christian, life's going to be easy. It's not. Not at all. You are under attack constantly from all sides. You'd be surprised. But the fact of the matter is this. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You count persecution and trials as blessings. And you stick to the truth no matter what. No matter what might be aimed at you. And as we delve into this wonderful account. It's not a story. It's not a fairy story. These, these things happened. We're going to be talking about Paul, who had just become a Christian. He'd been accepted by other, Christ, by, by other Christians as a Christian, and now he was under terrible persecution. People weren't just offended by what he was saying. They were trying to murder him to stop now, the early Christians had been told, don't be saying things that people might find offensive, especially us. But what did they do? They went down, they preached it anyway because they were commanded by God to do it. It cost them their lives, overwhelmingly. And they died terrible deaths. But they did it for their Lord. They did it for all those who would come after them. So turn in your Bibles to the Acts, to the book of Acts, chapter 9, starting at verse 23 to 25. That's Acts, chapter 9, 23 to 25. And if you're wondering why he's picking up his phone, I'm not Facebooking. I'm not playing games. I'm not playing games. I've got a Bible on it. Believe me, I am not playing games. I'm going to prove it to you. The jacket's coming off. I'm not playing games. <laughs> Fighting Irish. Okay. Chapter, chapter 9, starting at verse 25. Oh. And the disciples took him, speaking of Paul, by night. And let him down by the wall in a, in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. You see, they thought that he had come to, to, to persecute and they thought he was coming in among them as a spy. But the thing is, he really was. He really was a Christian. And it's a vivid example 
of how much a few words in the biblical narrative can apply. Now, we, we tend to read the Bible the way we would an ordinary novel without realising that within a few verses, years can pass. There's a big gap in there. And the Bible fills that in for us. Luke says that after some time in Damascus, these things happened. The period which is talked about in such a small phrase here was no less than three years. Now, where do I get that from, you might say? Well, turn to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 18. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So there you go. The Bible fills it in for us. Paul, he, Paul worked and he preached in Damascus for three years. And his fellow Jews who did not accept the gospel and wanted to stop him from preaching this offensive message of Christianity went out of the way to stop him. They were determined to kill him to stop him. Brethren, if you have to murder someone to stop their message, that tells you what? It's a powerful message. It's a true message. It's an effectual message. It was a threat to their own preeminence. But they weren't thinking about God. They were thinking about themselves. They didn't want to lose control to the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were determined to kill him, weren't they? And you know, they were so determined to kill him that they even said guards at the gate should he try to get out, out of them. They were waiting there watching to see if Paul was going to go down to the gate and then grab him and murder him. Yes, Brother Milt. Well, he is a Roman citizen. They, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, they had to be, you know, afraid of that because he's protected by Rome. And if they mess, if they mess with him, they're likely to be nipped at the bud because they're, they're dogs. He's a, he's a Roman citizen. Yeah. They're dogs. In, their, in the Roman's eyes, they're dogs. And they mess with a Roman citizen. They even keep control. That's right. For those who didn't hear, Milch was made the very valid point that Paul was a Roman citizen. He wasn't just ethnically Jewish, he was a, a citizen of the Roman Empire. And as a Roman citizen, and not everyone who was in the empire was a citizen, he had special rights. And if you messed with a Roman citizen, you were in trouble with the Roman government. It, it's like if, if any of us were abroad on vacation and we, we got kidnapped. Um, they better be careful because they're probably sending the Navy SEALs in to get you. They have a responsibility to take care of you. So how would, how would his enemies, and these were his Jewish brothers and sisters, they were the same people, how would they get rid of him? I mean, they couldn't just do it publicly, they couldn't just take him out and hang him. I mean, they couldn't just take him out and stone him to death like Stephen, the Romans didn't care. Stephen wasn't a citizen, who cares? But Paul is a citizen, and if they murdered him publicly, the people that murdered him are in serious trouble. So you're talking about a very awkward situation, so how do you get rid of them? Well, you've got to have a, a conspiracy for a start. They have to conspire together about how to get rid of this troublesome man without causing as much of a fuss as possible because they don't want to end up getting crucified. George. Yes.
He was preaching the, an, the doctrine of Christ. He was. And they found it offensive. It offended them. It offended them. It offended their friends. It offended their families and their neighbors. But where did he go first of all? Wherever he went, he went straight to the synagogue. Hmm. Sorry? Yeah, the battle begun back, began with Christ. As do we all. And he was, he was standing up against those people who were trying. He wasn't very politically correct, was he? Not at all. I mean, if Paul had went into these synagogues and not said anything about teaching the full doctrine of Christ, they probably would have left him alone. But he did, and sometimes they listened, and sometimes they converted, and sometimes they dragged him outside and tried to murder him. But it never stopped him because he was preaching the doctrine of Christ. And these wicked men had gathered together to conspire against him, to have him removed, to literally murder him. But God had other plans for him, didn't he? Now these ancient cities were big walled cities and the walls were often wide enough for a chariot to race around. These were big, thick walls. And on these walls, houses were built. So that was how we know that some of these houses actually projected over the walls. Remember, they didn't have a sewage system back then. And I can tell you, a city was a smelly, smelly place. Disease-ridden and bad. I feel for Paul being stuck in Damascus for three years. No wonder he went into Arabia to get away from all that. Well, on these walls, these houses had windows who were going over the walls. And in the dead of night, Paul was taken to one of these houses, let down in ropes in a basket. And I'm sure it was a pretty big basket. And then he was smuggled out. This was how he was smuggled out of Damascus. And then he set on his way up to Jerusalem, straight to Jerusalem, yeah? Paul had been ordered by the religious authorities to go up and crush this Christian heresy. To stop them from speaking. You're offending us. You're upsetting us. Stop it. So he was sent up there to stop them. And he ended up becoming one of them. And where did he go afterwards? After, after Damascus? Well, says Jerusalem. No, I do believe he went to Arabia first, did he not? Am I getting confused this morning? That's in Galatians. Then he went to Arabia and then on there. He went into the desert. Well, for Paul, this was only the beginning of his adventures for the Lord Jesus. And even here, he's escaping with his life just by the skin of his teeth. See, I told you it's an exciting book, and that's just two, two verses. You slow down reading the Bible. Wow, it's amazing. But this incident is, is full of witness to Paul's courage. He must have seen the great gathering against him in the synagogues. He knew what had happened to Stephen. He'd been there. He'd stood there as poor Stephen was stoned to death. And I'm sure that must have haunted him his whole life. He played a part in it, didn't he? Yes, Mel. Mm-hmm. That's so when right. He went to the town, he went to the synagogue, because that's where the Jews were, and he would talk to them and give them a chance of accepting it, and then he'd go to the Gentile room. That's right. Well, for those who couldn't hear, I have to shout, sometimes people don't. I wish I could have like a little phone, like on Geraldo or something. But <laughs> um, 
what he would do as he was commanded by Christ was to go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And how many times did he, did he keep going back to them time and time again? He just told them the truth. And then if they accepted or if they didn't, if they didn't accept it, he went on. He didn't hound them. He said, this is the truth. They've been told the truth. They knew the truth. The seed was planted. It's up to God to give the increase. You can't force somebody to become a Christian. Yes, Julie. Yeah, that's right. We're told not to be afraid because the Lord will, be, will protect us. But I'm sure he did have fear. Our Lord had fear. Our Lord was, was afraid. Remember, we're only human. And the Lord is fully human and fully God. And we know how frightening it must have been for him at Gethsemane. He, he jumped in the basket. He jumped in the basket? Yeah. Well, I don't know if he jumped in the basket. He may have crawled in the basket. Maybe he jumped in the basket. One thing he didn't do is he wasn't sticking around town to be murdered. He had more things to do. Yeah, it was time for him to go. He had to shake the dust from off his feet. Well, clearly Christianity for him was not going to be easy. But the whole tone of the incident shows to, to him, and for those who can read between the lines of here, that Paul reveled in these dangers. Yes, he was afraid, but he lived for the Lord. They gave him a chance to demonstrate this newfound loyalty to the King of Kings, to that master whom he had persecuted and now whom he loved. What a change was made in Paul. It was a real conversion. And Paul wasn't doing it for power or preeminence or control. He was doing it out of absolute love for the Lord. As simple as that. If Paul wanted an easy life, he could have just stayed where he was. He was on the up and up in, in, the, uh, in the Jewish uh, uh, religious government in Jerusalem. There's no telling where Paul could have ended up if he'd have stayed there. He gave up a, a, a position of social standing. He gave up a position of safety and he gave it all up for the Lord. He could have settled down and had a family and a nice house. I mean, he was a very educated man. He could have made a fortune of wealth, but he knew that money went nothing in the end. Money's just a tool. Yeah. Oh, we've got two. Uh, I'll get you a Tim and a Mo. <laughs> he got you first. He was taught by Gamaliel. He was taught by Gamaliel, yeah. He was one of the biggest teachers of that time, and he was one of his students. Yeah. And I, I know... I, I, Personally, I can, I can understand that kind of a relationship because I had a Gamaliel in Ireland as well, a man who became a great gospel preacher for the Lord's Church called Ian Paisley, and uh, he would blow you all away. He wouldn't, need, he wouldn't need this. He'd be so mad at me using this right now, I tell you. He said, if they can't hear your voice two miles away, you're failing. Yeah, Tim, <laughs> and you could. <laughs> Did, were you asking a question, Tim? Oh, okay. Well, you know, the greatest compliment any preacher has ever gotten was to be told they had the thong of an old cow. Because you can hear an old cow from miles away. It just echoes and reverberates all over the place. When I imagine that, Paul was like this, and he was fearless in his preaching. 
in his teaching. That's why he got the, the heretics and those that, didn't, those that didn't want to believe so upset. And like I always tell people, if you're afraid of something, if you're afraid of Islam, read the Quran. You won't be afraid of it anymore. Well, you might be afraid of its members, but you won't be afraid of it. Yes. They were afraid of him because he was dangerous. And why was he dangerous? Because he, he uh, had the power. And when he spoke, uh, he didn't speak. The Holy Spirit spoke through him. But with his charisma and his standing, and his, mm-hmm. the way he did in society, he always stood out. He was, he was like a leader. Yeah, yeah. But he, he, he was a leader that was humble. And that, that spoke a great deal to many people as well because the religious leaders that he was used to, they were all like, oh, look at me, look how great I am. You know, kiss my ring, all that stuff. And he was like, mm, not at all. The complete opposite. Very humble. Yes, Julius. Mm-mm. That's fine. Just to trust in God. God has it. God's got it. God's always got it. And that, that we can see. And the, my eyes have gone a wee bit funny, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> did Nisha, were you waving? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I didn't do it. God's got it. It's true, it's true. I mean, the, the incident which we see here shows Paul's courage. I mean, there must have been a great gathering whenever he went around to the synagogues to, to have him removed. And he knew what had happened to Stephen. He'd been there, he'd participated in it. And he knew what he, he intended to do. 
to the Christians so he knew what was going to happen to him because he was, he was going to do that to the Christians himself. So clearly Christianity for him was not going to be easy. But the whole tone of the incident here shows, it shows to him and us, for those who can read between the lines, that Paul, Paul reveled in this. He knew that God was going to take care of him, no matter what happened, because there's nothing like being for God. Remember he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He was living for the King of Kings. Remember, in English, the word Christ comes from the Greek Christos. It means the anointed one. But that's a Greek translation of the Hebrew meaning. It's a bit deeper. In Hebrew, it's Mashiach Hagid, which means the Messiah King. And it speaks of the royalty of the King. He's the anointed one of God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you know, there cannot be another King of the Jews after Jesus Christ that would have a legitimate claim. Because no one, no one can trace it back. The last rightful leader, the rightful king of the Jews is Jesus Christ. But it doesn't need to be. He doesn't need successors because he reigns right now, king of kings and lord of lords. And we're part of his kingdom, of his commonwealth. He's the king that couldn't stop. Even though the Romans murdered him, he's still here today. He's still obeyed. We're still loyal to him. He's God the Son. He's the, the man of Trinity. And you know something? All those emperors, they're gone. All those leaders that tried to stop the gospel message, that tried to murder Paul, they're all gone as well. But Paul's message is there, and we only remember them by name because of what they tried to do to Paul. What a terrible legacy. But it didn't stop him, did it? It's also a witness to the effectiveness of Paul's preaching. As, as Brother Milt was saying, he was very effective. And that was terrifying to them. He was a great weapon in the spreading of the gospel. And he was so unanswerable to the religious authorities of the day. They were helpless in debate with him. So they resorted to violence, to shut him up, to threats, threats to his person, threats to his livelihood. But he was thinking, so what? So what? The place I was at before here threatened me with my livelihood. Because, they, well, you know, if you talk about being baptized for the forgiveness of sins, that might offend some people. But how can I preach the gospel without teaching about being baptized for the forgiveness of sins? I had a good think about that. And I thought, well, Jesus says, unless you are uh, he that is that thing which you won't let me talk about, <laughs> unless you believe and be that thing which you won't let me talk about, which is being baptized. We need to praise and serve God. Because no amount of money or social standing will be of any use to you if you're burning eternally in hell, would it? Because who do we answer to? Who is the man we answer to when we die? Jesus Christ, the Messiah King, our King, the King of the Jews, the King of Israel. He's the one who we answer to. And I want to see him smiling at me. And that, my friends, is priceless. And Paul knew that. 
That's why Paul would just, just press ahead. The writer, I have a quote here about this in context. Uh, George Bernard Shaw once said that the biggest compliment you can pay an author is to burn his books. Someone else said, a wolf will never attack a painted sheep. See, counterfeit Christianity is always safe. It's safe. Real Christianity is always in peril. It's always dangerous. It's a dangerous message because you might get converted. You might hear the truth. So to suffer persecution is to be paid the greatest of compliments because of the certain proof that men think that we really matter and what we're saying is dangerous. What we're saying may make a difference in people's lives. Yes, Sister Julie. Yeah. The truth is always easiest to remember. Yeah. Yeah. If you start a lie, you just have to keep lying. That's right. It, it, it's, it's hard. I mean, I wouldn't recommend being a liar because the Sister Julie says you have to remember your lie. You don't have to have a book of lies to try and keep up with it. Make up another, another one, a new one as you go ahead. But it's certainly not the way of it, is it? Well, so what happens to Paul when he gets to Jerusalem? Well, the book of Acts tells us so. If you'll turn in your Bibles, we have enough time for this, to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 31. We find out what happened to him next. That's Acts chapter 9. We go. And verses 26 to 31. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed that he believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the, against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Now the Grecians they're talking about, he's not, they're not talking about the Greek pagans, it's the, the Greek-speaking Jews. They were offended by this message, you know, it was upsetting them. He was a threat to their power. Within which then the brethren knew and brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and, Gal- and, and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. You see, brethren, you know, when we remember God and his power and his strength, the fear, the reverence of God, the fear, that reverence of God, Wipes away all other fears, doesn't it? Doesn't it wash it all away? What can they do? Yes, Sister Nita. I think Barnabas was a very kind man. I think he had a, a huge sense of empathy. And I think he thought that I'm going to give this guy a try. Let, let's just see. Let's see if he's real. And Paul proved by his actions that he was real. He proved by his care, by his love, and by his love for the Lord. Remember, when he went out to preach Jesus, there was a good chance he wasn't coming back. It was a very dangerous thing. So I, I think Barnabas seen something in him. So he, he decided, you know, let's, let's give him a try. Let's see. And he, he turned out to be real. 
I thought, yes, Mel. The Grecians, mm-hmm. were they like Pharisee Christians? Yep. Oh, they, they, were, they weren't Christians. Oh, they were um, no, 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 the Grecians weren't. No, no, they weren't. Maybe Sadducees, too. Remember, yeah. Remember. Maybe they were. Oh, like like a, a church crisis thing or no, no, not at all. No, 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 it's not, it's not them. No, this would have been um, the Greek-speaking Jews, and as John said quite rightly, they could have been Sadducees or Pharisees. They had their own different denominations in Ju- in Judaism. They still do today. Just all these different different denominations. Oh no, no, no! They were real Christians. They weren't trying to get them. <laughs> and they were you have to remember too that at that time there were millions of Jews that spoke Greek that lived outside of, of Jerusalem of Israel but they'd go back and they'd learn at the uh, universities and things incredibly sophisticated um, but yeah um, as, as we go on in verse 32 and it came to pass as Peter passed through out all quarters he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydia. And there he found a certain man named Ananias, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Ananias, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and take thy bed. And he rose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydia and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And I went right past that. You see how exciting this story is? I meant to add the end at verse 31. <laughs> it's hard not to get into it. The book of Acts is a wonderful place. If anyone's reading through the Bible the first time, I would recommend you read the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Luke and then go into Acts. It's just, it's just this wonderful Wonderful account. It just lifts you up. But yes, back to verse 31. I'm sorry, I got carried away there. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Samaria, Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. What a difference it makes to trust in the Lord, doesn't it? So here we see that Peter, that Paul, um, he went in and out with the disciples in Jerusalem. He was seen publicly with the very Christians he'd been told to, to get. And he'd become one of them. So speaking boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, he talked and debated with the Greek-speaking Jews. But instead of them listening to him, they tried to murder him. Of course, they were trying to murder a Roman citizen, so they were in a lot of trouble for trying to do that too. But when the brethren got news of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now imagine the, the threat against his life was so great, the brethren insisted on him going to Tarsus. Now, it's, hello. No, this, that's not what it means. Yeah. Reverence. Exactly. Reverence, love, sincerity, all that. that that's what, it didn't mean that we're like, oh, I'm so terrified of you. It's, I revere you. I put, place my trust in you. And you know, because we place our trust fully in God, 
What are we to fear from man? Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, whenever homes were father and mother and children, mm-hmm. and mine, my father was in charge. So we had a fear of him because he would discipline us, but we loved him because he was our father. Mm-hmm. So in a situation is, you know, you don't really fear your father, but if you do something wrong, you, you try to well, that that that's why you, you do what you you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. So if we don't do what he says, it's not just like an act of disobedience. It's an act of not loving him enough. When you think of it like that, if you don't love him enough, hasn't he got a right to be upset? And how do we know we're doing what God wants us to do? It's right here in the Bible, isn't it? It's not what we imagine or what we think. It's what the Bible says. You see, what God says, that's it. You do it. It's not like God says that I believe it, I do it. No, you do it. It's not like he asks you to jump and you say how high. You do it. You jump because it's for your own good. Because God knows exactly what he's doing. It must have been terrifying for Paul at times. He was on ships. He was getting whipped. He was getting threats against his life. But he never stopped. What a wonderful and powerful testament his life is. I find him... As a minister, I find his, his life, his experiences tremendously, tremendously encouraging. I haven't been beaten almost to death right now, but I, I have been threatened with my life on a number of occasions, but that's okay. I'm used to that. I grew up with that. Yeah. that that's nothing. At the end of the day, the lesson is we love him. Yes, yes. Oh. Okay. And the situation came up when I was shipwrecked one time. A viper bit him, and he shook it off in, in the fire. That's right. He was waiting for him to die, and that's one of the things with the apostles. They could, you know, drink poison. They could be bitten by snakes and stuff like that, and they they would have an immune system because God God gave it. God gave it to them. Yeah. Well, we should have an, an, an we have an immunity system too against stupidity. It's called the Bible. Yeah, it needs to be applied though. Okay, well, thank you for your attention this morning. And uh, next week we'll see what, where Paul and Peter go on their, on their adventures too. Thank you.